Indeed, it is my privilege and pleasure once again to be with you in worship in this context around this lectern. And I, I do not take it for granted. I am delighted to be able to share with you when that seems good, at least to Jerry, I think. So, but anyway, I am truly delighted to be with you once again in this way. In a few moments, I will have us take a look at four words, four English words. They are the words member, remember, memory, and memorial. After all, today is? Well, or at least the weekend, right? But I, I, I kind of see it as, as Memorial Day. So we will take a moment to, to give some thought to those four words. But before we do, as is my want, some of you have endured me in previous moments, I have two questions for you. The first question is this. As you think of your life, what is a pleasing memory that comes to your mind almost immediately? When you think of your life, what is a pleasing memory that comes to mind almost immediately? Are you thinking? Second question. When you think of your life, what is a painful memory that comes almost immediately to your mind? Two questions. When you think of your life, what is a pleasing memory? What is a painful memory that, that comes? Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, when I remember, and then you can either choose the pleasing memory or the painful memory to share with one another. Are we together? Or have I lost you all together already? <laughs> all right, I want to, I'll give you a little moment, but. You will turn to your neighbor, and if there's not a neighbor handy, find a neighbor, and then say, neighbor, when I remember, and then you will share your memory. Are we together? Will you do this? Oh, are you a wonderful group? All right, I'll give you 60 seconds. I'm looking at the clock in the back. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I remember when. Neighbor, I remember when. Do it.
Some of you exhausted your memory already, right? Thank you for enduring me or humoring me. Clearly this morning I would have us give thought to memory, to memorials. Very briefly, and I am not a philologist, but I would ha now have us take note of four words, four English words. All of them are Latin-based, and I know there are at least a couple Latin scholars here in the room. But the, these four words, the English word member, which comes from, as you can see up there, membrum, meaning, at least in certain contexts, limb. Second word, remember, from memor, meaning mindful. Third word, memory, from memoria, or again from memor, meaning mindful or remembering. And then finally, the fourth word, memorial. Coming from memorialis. Did I say it correctly, you scholars? Is that good? Memorialis, and, and no real surprise in terms of our understanding, but serving as a reminder. My point, memory or memories are often very mindful, a very mindful restructuring of persons, places, experiences, sights, sounds. Often memory is putting together, and that's where that word member comes to my mind. It is a putting together in a manner that is truly, for so many of us, is very powerful. Somehow making the present something in the past immediately to come to, to mind as though it is present. Memory. It would seem to me, if I think in terms of American history, that perhaps every generation has had its moment of needing to remember. Remember. There were those who at one time would say, remember Valley Forge. There were those who would say, remember the Alamo. Remember Gettysburg. Remember the Maine. Remember Pearl Harbor. Remember the Tet Offensive. Remember, remember Desert Storm. Remember Vietnam. Remember 9-11. And then if you will, remember COVID. Memory is very powerful and it brings to our hearts and to our minds things that we thought were past but somehow become very present to us. And of course, in alluding to remember, 
there are those words that are dear to us. Do this, right? In remembrance of me. Now, in recognizing those words, I would remind us, memory, that for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, today they are celebrating Pentecost. Today is that traditional time when we give thought to the birthday of the church, when indeed the gift of the Spirit of Christ was given to us. This morning we will not be going that direction, but it is always good for us, I think, to recall Pentecost and the birth of the church. Instead of going that direction, though, this morning, I would have you ponder with me the single word pleading. Pleading, as based upon Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 1 to 3. But before we give attention to those three verses, let's take a moment and pray, please. Lord, as Sharon so wonderfully expressed our gratitude for these moments together in the presence of your Spirit, moments to direct ourselves to you, moments in some regard to remember. Please, if you will, move within our hearts and our minds. Help us to hear afresh from you, not from me, but from you. Please, grant us those ears and then the will to do what it is that we hear from you. This we sincerely ask in your great and wonderful name. Amen. Listen now to the Word of God. Listen now for the Word of God as it comes to us from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, the first three verses. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others, or 72 others, depending on the translation, and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you, sending you out like lambs in the midst of the wolves. This indeed is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, 
we do well to note the broader context. Now, many of you will recognize or recall right away, we've been in Luke since September, right? And that has been good, at least it has been good for me. The broader context of our passage this morning then can be found as we turn to Luke chapter 6 and Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. That sermon then and the priorities of that sermon can then be found as we read further into Luke 7, 8, and 9. In Luke 7, we see very clearly that Jesus had a priority for Gentiles, people like us. He had a priority for women. He had a priority for those who were religiously and socioeconomically ostracized. And then as we read further into chapters 8 and 9, he, he sends out his 12 disciples to proclaim the coming kingdom. And in the context of that coming kingdom, he shares with his disciples, twice he does, that they will go to Jerusalem and there he will be killed. And then it is in chapter 9, verse 51, those ominous words that, that Luke penned, namely, and he, and Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. I would suggest to you then that everything thereafter, after 951, everything thereafter in Luke's gospel is to be understood or seen within the very dark shadow of his cross and within the glorious light of his empty tomb. That is the broader context for our passage this morning. But the more immediate context, picking up with verse 4 through 24 of chapter 10, is that Jesus did indeed send out either 70 or 72. We're not quite certain in terms of the Greek manuscripts. But they then are to be forerunners for him. He gave them specific instructions what to do, what to say, as they did indeed go before him. In those verses, then, we also see Jesus bringing judgment or expressing judgment against various villages or cities. But then the 70 or the 72 return and there is great joy. And then Jesus gives a commentary upon the very historic meaning of his ministry. That is the more immediate context. This morning then, again, I want us to look at three verses. Luke 10, 1 to 3. And it seems to me that as we look at those three verses, at least four observations can be made, and I want to share those with you at this moment. First, Jesus chose and sent the 70 or the 72. Both in verse 1 and in verse 2, the word that is used for sent 
is the word apostello. I know you're waiting for a Greek lesson this morning, are you not? Oh, yes. Is that okay, Tim? Oh, all good. good. Uh, apostello, you can hear it. We get the word apostle from that. So go ahead, say it, apostello. Oh, with a little more enthusiasm. Apostello. Oh, thank you. That's a, that's a little better. And that, that Greek word, to send, for an apostle really is one who is sent, then comes into Latin with the Latin verb missera, from which we get the word missionary. Apostle, missionary. They are those who are sent. Now, however Jesus chose those 70 or 72. In my view, if he was not central to their choosing and to their sending, then their labors would have been in vain. Moreover, his sending conveyed a great intentionality. As heralds, as forerunners, they were to go before him in pairs. This, this was not a lone ranger enterprise, but they were to go together in pairs. But note, they were sent before his face. Exactly the same language that we see in Luke 9, 51. And whether those who were sent knew it or not, I would suggest that their sending was to be seen also within the shadow of the cross and within the light of his empty tomb. Jesus chose, Jesus sent. Second, he commanded them to pray. Consistently in his gospel, more than did Mark or Matthew, Nineteen times Luke used the verb to pray. Nine of those times that verb prosukomai was used in direct reference to Jesus himself. Jesus prayed. However, in verse 2 of our passage, the verb translated pray is the verb deomai, You'd like to say that word too, wouldn't you? I can see it. Go ahead, say it. Deomai. Oh, one more time. Deomai. Oh. One more time. Deomai. Thank you. Thank you. You, you. You're kind to me. That verb, deomai, appears 22 times in the New Testament. Eight of those times in Luke's Gospel. Moreover, this verb deomai is often rightly translated as to beg, to beseech, to entreat, to implore, and or to plead. Luke used this verb, for instance, to speak of legion. You recall the man who was demonically possessed, and he pleaded before Jesus. Luke also used that verb with regard to the father who had a terrorized son and he brought his son 
to the disciples, the nine disciples, and they were unable to help. And so then he brings them to Jesus, and he pleaded, Daomai. In each of these moments, the pleading, the begging, is truly emotional, reflecting a great heart-wrenching cry. Jesus chose and sent. He commanded them to pray or plead. And then third, he reminded them that there was a harvest, that the harvest was great, but that the laborers were or are few. In noting that the laborers are few, we dare not miss the connection between those who are sent, those who pray, and those who labor. Throughout church history, it has been indeed a very uniformly common experience. Those who find themselves pleading in earnest are very often those who are sent to labor. Those who find themselves pleading in earnest are often those who are sent to labor. Fourth, those he commanded to pray, those he commanded then to go. And they were to go as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Now it seems to me that sheep, if you will, surrounded by wolves, many of those sheep will be killed. But, did I say that correctly? You think so, Sharon? I hope so. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Huh. Well, you'll forgive me then for getting lost. Sheep in the midst of wolves, but it, it could be the other way around if you have... No, I don't. Sheep in the midst of wolves will be annihilated, won't they? As opposed to wolves... Uh, yeah, there it is. I'm sorry. Wolves in the midst of sheep. So if you have, begin with wolves and you have sheep around them, then you will have many sheep lost. But sheep... Surrounded by wolves, in my thinking, would be near annihilation. Reminding me that as far as I know, the only defensive mechanism that sheep have is to bleat, to cry, or if you will, to beg, 
to entreat, to implore, to plead. We are sheep, are we not? Memory. One of my favorite childhood memories. I can recall growing up, listening as I fell asleep, listening to my parents pray for my brother and for me. I grew up in Salinas, California. Monterey was 20 miles away. We lived in a small two-bedroom ranch home. Thus, our bedroom was very close to my parents' bedroom. And I'm sure quite regularly, as I fell asleep, I'm sure that my parents often were praying, often were pleading for my brother and for me. And then I have another favorite memory. It's a memory of my father in his early to mid-80s, sitting at the kitchen table, Bible in front of him. I knew, of course, he was reading. But I do not doubt in those moments that he also was praying, perhaps pleading, perhaps a pleading that he learned when he was 24 years old. As a 24-year-old person, he was the pilot of a B-24 bomber during World War II. He flew 33 missions over France and Germany. Never once did he lose a plane. Never once was there a crewman seriously hurt. Every time that he went into the sky, he would first read Psalm 90 and Psalm 91. I'm sure he learned to plead, to pray. And by the way, when he sat at the kitchen table in his early to mid-80s, he did that before he went to work. He never retired. He died two months shy of his 97th birthday. He probably should have retired, but he did not. He was a patriot to the end. Respectfully, he would write those in Congress, senators, of what he thought, what he felt, what he believed. I watched him over the years. He loved this country. But as we sang a little earlier, he came to recognize that, that the kingdom of God is not synonymous with the United States of America. As great as this land truly is, I'm sure he pleaded for our country. And so, as I think of, of him for a moment, um, if you are a veteran, would you please stand just for a brief moment?
Do we have any veterans among us? Please. Thank you. Just as I am thankful for who my father was, I am thankful for those of you who have served just as he served. We owe you a, a, a great debt, truly, in caring for this land and in serving this land. Memory. I know that today is Memorial Day when we are to remember those who have died. And I know there's Veterans Day, but it, I don't think it, it, always it is appropriate for, to take a moment to remember those of you who have served and the millions who have served our country so that we can do the very thing, again, as Sharon prayed, do the very thing we're doing at this moment, seeking to worship seeking to encourage one another in our love and service to Jesus Christ. This morning, because it is Memorial Day weekend, I, have, I, I believe I've been led to, to share with you nothing new, but something old which I hope is not an indication that I am old, but I certainly am on the old side of the spectrum. But, to, but not to share anything new with you, but rather to encourage you to, to, to focus on something perhaps past. For, for you in some way or other to mindfully put together those moments those past moments, if you will, to plead. I'm seeking to, to remind you with heart and mind and with all your mental senses, all that they can recall, with all those sensory sights and sounds, smells, touches, and tastes from that great memory bank within you. Remember, remember to pray. I, I told you it's nothing new. But remember to plead, not as a religious duty, not as a rite or a ritual, not as a checklist habit, but to truly, earnestly plead and pray. as a heartfelt, heart-engendered moment of communion, moment of communication with the Lord of the harvest. The one who calls, the one who sends, the one who knows all about wolves. For he has conquered our greatest enemy just as he set his face toward Jerusalem. May you and I do likewise. May you and I continue to hear his choosing, his calling, his sending, 
even if it's just across the street or around the world, it matters not. But to be those who are listening, to be those who are pleading, to be those who are willing to go. He set his face toward Jerusalem. May you and I do likewise in living the lives that have been given to us. If you will, I want to give you a moment to pray, maybe even to plead. So please, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for these moments. We thank you again for your ongoing work in our lives. And I would ask, I would pray that you continue to work in our hearts and minds so that we might be those who listen, be those who are willing to be sent, be those who are willing to plead and to plead, and to plead for your good work in our lives, in the lives of those about us, in the lives of those billions who live elsewhere. We do pray for those laborers which well might be us. Use us for your great good. Again, we thank you for the freedom that we have to share in these moments in this way. And we give thanks in your great and glorious name. Amen.